I'm going to start today a little bit different than normal. Uh, I want to start by celebrating some heroes of mine. And so this is going to require you guys to participate a little bit with me. So uh, if you serve in either the nursery, the children's ministry, or the student ministry here at Cornerstone, I want to ask you to stand for a moment. So if you serve in any of those ministries, I want to ask you to stand. Don't be shy. Are right, you guys cannot... You guys cannot sit yet. Uh uh. You guys are my heroes because you consistently give your time and you sacrifice time out of your schedule to love on and teach these students about Jesus. And I want you guys to know that you are making an eternal impact in their life. And you guys are my heroes for that. Stay standing. You cannot sit yet. Because next, I want to ask all parents to stand. Whether you have kids in your home right now or your kids have grown and moved out, if you are a parent, I want to ask you to stand. You guys are my heroes because you all are crazy. (laughs) You took on the hardest job in the universe, raising another human being. That is no easy feat, and for that, I commend you, and I want you guys to know that you are my heroes for that. I want you to stay standing. Next, I want to ask anybody to stand in the room who has maybe a niece, a nephew, a cousin, a child that lives on the same street as you, or if you attend a church that has a children's ministry, which, (laughs) wink, wink, this church has a children's ministry, youth ministry. So if that applies to you, I want to ask you to stand up. Yes, you can clap for them too. Even the young ones. You guys are my heroes because you have the potential to be a spiritual parent to somebody who doesn't have a parent. And so many of you are doing just that. So you guys are my heroes. And I want everybody now to just take a second to look around the room at how many people are standing. Understand this, we are going to focus in on the next generation today, but what we're talking about is not just for parents, and it's not just for student ministry workers or children's ministry workers, it's for all of us. And I wanted us to visually see that we all play a part in the upbringing of the next generation. So you guys are my heroes, you can go ahead and have a seat. Today we are in week four of our study, this series that we're calling Not Like Me, where we're learning to love, think, and serve like Jesus. And if you haven't gotten the memo yet, we are focusing in on the next generation today. And this is a term that's talked about a lot. We always say like the next generation, but it's seldom defined. And so I just want to define that for us uh, for just a moment. The next generation is simply anyone under the age of 18 and who is still being parented or raised by someone. So when we say the next generation, we're not just talking about the really young three and four and five year olds, and we're not just talking about the teenagers who are now becoming adults. We're talking about that whole span of kids under the age of 18 still being parented or raised by someone in the home. And so with that in mind, we're going to jump into our big idea for today, which is this. That to point the next generation toward Jesus... We need to stop hindering them from Jesus. If we really want to lead and encourage and point the next generation to Jesus, we need to stop hindering them from Jesus. 
And now, confession time, when I wrote this, I was like, I don't know if I really like this because there's no way I would ever hinder somebody from Jesus. I love Jesus and I love kids. There's no way I would ever tell a kid that he can't come to Jesus. I would never deny a kid or anybody that. And yet the more I thought about it, and the more I reflected on my life and looking at the past 10 years of ministering to, to students and to kids, what I realized is the way in which we hinder kids from experiencing the power and the wonder and the majesty of Jesus isn't always by the things we say and do. You see, so often we hinder them from experiencing the Jesus that we read about in Scripture by the things that we don't say and the things that we don't do. And I think Kenda Dean summarizes this idea well in her book called Almost Christian when she says this, and the problem does not seem to be that churches are teaching young people badly, but that we are doing an exceedingly good job of teaching youth what we really believe. Namely, that Christianity is not a big deal, that God requires little, and that the church is a helpful social institution filled with nice people focused primarily on folks like us. And when I came across that verse, it, it wrecked me because it is very possible to say and do all of the right things and still hinder the next generation from experiencing Jesus. Because our kids can see us week in and week out show up to church on Sunday. That's a good thing. That's one of our big four here at Cornerstone is that we encourage everybody to gather on Sunday. But here's the deal. If our kids don't actually see us be the church outside of these four walls, they will start to believe that Christianity is about showing up to a building once a week. And in the same way, we can tell the next generation that there is power in prayer and that you should pray. But until they actually see us on our knees desperately praying and then joyfully celebrating those prayer requests when God answers them, whether he answers them according to our plan or not, until they see us do that, they're not going to believe that there's power in prayer. And in the same vein, we can give generously out of our abundance and out of our comfort. But until they see us give sacrificially, then they're going to grow up thinking that God really doesn't require much of us. That Christianity really isn't a big deal. God only wants us to give out of our, our, out of our comfort. And I'm not just talking about giving our money. I'm talking about giving our time and our resources. And so I just want to make a quick confession that I've been wrecked by this sermon uh, way more than I would have liked to. And God's rearranging some things in my life. So please understand, it's not me standing up here saying, hey, I have it all together and you all need to straighten up. This is confession from Josh McClintock saying, I'm screwed up and maybe you can relate to some of this stuff and we can, we can you know, work on this stuff together. So what I want to do this morning is look at two passages from the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10. And from this, we're going to discover three ways that we can encourage as opposed to hinder, three ways that we can encourage the next generation toward Jesus. So if you have a copy of God's Word... You can open it up to Mark chapter 9. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. And we're going to be starting in verse 33 of chapter 9. And we read that they, that's the disciples in Jesus, came to Capernaum. 
And when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But the disciples kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. See, Jesus knew what they were talking about, and so he wants to use this as an opportunity to teach them something. So he says, hey guys, it's like parents, when you know your kid's in trouble, you know what they did, you just want them to admit it. So he said, hey guys, what were you talking about on the way over to this house? And they're like, I'm not saying anything. You say anything. Peter, speak up. You know, you're usually the one that has the loud mouth. Nobody's saying anything, right? So then Jesus sat down, which was the position a teacher would take in the first century. And he called the 12 disciples and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Tells his disciples, look, you guys were arguing about who was first. I know what you were talking about. If you really want to be great and you really want to be first, what you have to do is actually be last in line and willing to serve everybody who's in front of you. And then to drive this point home even further, he does something pretty remarkable that can oftentimes get overlooked in our culture. He took a child, put him in the midst of them, and then taking him in his arms. Again, we read that and we're like, oh, that's so cute. Because in 2019, we really celebrate our kids, and we actually can idolize our kids. And we buy them these awesome shirts that say, like, princess, or prince, or my favorite, I'm the boss, right? And, and we, we really puff up our, our, our kids, and we celebrate them. I'm not saying that, you know, there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but we really celebrate our kids. If in the first century they made shirts for kids, it would be like a sackcloth that just said burden on it. Because kids were viewed as burdens back then. They had very little intrinsic worth. Until they could start pulling some weight around the house and contributing to the family needs, they were kind of like dead weight. And so for Jesus to take in this person that was so different than everybody else in that house, make him the star of the show and wrap his arms around him, would be like the equivalent today is if you had a, a really fancy dinner feast and you invited all of your friends over and you guys got dressed up. We're talking, you know, tucks and nice dresses and, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And then you go and you grab a, a homeless person straight off the streets and you bring them in the center. And you wrap your arms around them and be like, guys, this is my buddy. I want to introduce you to him. They'd be like, ooh, that's a little weird. I don't, I, don't, I don't quite understand. And so Jesus drives this, this point home about the importance of serving people even who, who aren't like you. So he makes his kid the star of the show and then he says to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives or welcomes not me, but him who sent me. So the first way that we can encourage the next generation towards Jesus is to lead them to experience the power of God through our care of others. You know what the disciples needed to learn that day and what I know I still need to learn is that according to Scripture, high position, titles, power are not great measuring tools for success. Services. And so Jesus is trying to drive this point home that when we serve people who are far different than us, the power of God and the power of the gospel is actually expressed and experienced. When we live out Philippians chapter 2, 
that, that, that verse that says, you know, basically die to ourselves, count ourselves less significant than everybody else, when we consider the needs of other people above the needs of our own, even the kids who live with us and who watch us understand that there's something strange about that. But that's not right. Because thanks to sin, we are all very selfish people who first and foremost seek our own interests. I will be the first to admit that. Yet when we die to ourselves and when we put somebody else and their needs above our own, people look at that and they kind of wonder at it. Man, maybe this gospel thing and this Jesus guy, maybe there's something else to him. Because it's actually affecting the way that my mom and dad or my grandma and my grandpa or that person that I look up to, it's actually affecting the way that they live their life Monday through Saturday. They don't just talk about this, this guy on, on Sunday. They're actually like being changed by him. And kids see that and Jesus is trying to drive this point home to them. The same way, if all we ever do is serve people who are just like us, and Jesus is using this example to serve people who are, who are different than him. But if all we ever do is serve people who are just like us, and we don't ever reach out to somebody who's different than us, then we run the risk. Some of you guys know what movie this is from. You're giggling. Then we run the risk of, of teaching our kids that the ministry of the church is all about ministering to people who are just like you and I. And that's not the Jesus that we encounter in Scripture. Because the Jesus that I read about in this Bible is hanging out with prostitutes. Think about that for a second. If somebody saw me hanging out with a prostitute, I would be like, oh, somebody thinks I'm trying to like hire this person. I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. right? Like That is weird, and yet these are the people Jesus was hanging out with. With the lepers who had skin conditions so bad that they weren't even allowed into the city. With tax collectors that everybody else hated. This is who Jesus hung out with. This is who Jesus welcomed in. Even kids who were viewed as burdens, who were seen but not heard, Jesus welcomes them in. In Luke 14, Jesus is having a meal He's invited over to this house by, by a Pharisee who was one of the uh, like leading uh, religious people of that day. And Jesus is trying to teach everybody in that home, including his disciples and this Pharisee, a lesson on humility. This idea of dying to yourself and elevating somebody else above you. And so he says this to the person who invited him over to his house. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Don't just invite all the people that you can relate to and all the people that you're comfortable with. Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. People who are far different than you. People who might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Invite them over to your feast and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And again, I read that this week. I put this in the sermon. I prayed about it, and I realized that's extremely convicting. Because it has been far too long since somebody like that sat across from me at my dining room table and shared a meal with me. 
wasn't that long ago somebody very similar than me that I was comfortable being around ate with me. But I can't remember the last time that my kids saw me eat a meal with somebody who is vastly different than me. See, in a very subtle way, I have hindered my own kids from experiencing the power of the gospel at work because I've elevated my comfort above everything else. Because I didn't want to invite that person that was different than me over to my house to eat a meal. And so this has been wrecking me, but what I have been asking God to do in my life is that my own kids and the kids that I lead would begin to see me fight for a position of service as opposed to fight for a position of power. I hope and I pray that my kids, when I'm long gone, would say, Dad was always willing to serve somebody. He didn't really care about a title. He just wanted to serve people. Because if I want to make a lasting impact in the next generation, I can't talk about all my success and everything that I've accomplished and everything that I know. I need to serve people. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to to his disciples. And what what I think we can learn too is if we really want to lead the next generation to experience the power of God, we can do so by leading them, um, by, by caring for other people and serving other people and helping them see the, gospel, the power of the gospel at work through the way we serve and love other people. So that's the first thing that we can do. We're going to jump to the second thing as we're going to discover in Mark 10. So just flip your page. You might just have to look over a page. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, we come across another account with Jesus and children. In Mark 10, 13, it says they, and the they, those are parents, grandparents, people with kids, they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. That's this idea of Jesus taking them in and, and blessing them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The second way that we can point and encourage this next generation towards Jesus is to simply spend time with them. And I know that's very obvious and simple, but so often it's the obvious things in life that get overlooked. You know, in both of these passages, Jesus spends intentional time with the kids. In Mark 9, when he's in that home, he doesn't just see a kid in the distance and say, hey, disciples, um, serve people like that kid over there. He calls that kid up. He makes him the star of the show. He wraps his arms around him, and he spends time with them. Again, here in Mark 10, we don't see Jesus just blessing from a distance. We see Jesus saying, no, 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 bring those kids to me. I want to hold them. I want to bless them. I want to be with them. You know, I, 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 I understand that as a parent, I live in a very um, sweet time right now. I have a five, a two, and a three-month-old, and they still love spending time with me. You know what they have yet to say to me? Dad, go away from me. I'm done hanging out with you. I don't like you anymore. Dad, can you please go to work and make more money so that we can buy more toys and occupy ourselves because we've just, we're, we're done with you. We, we've had enough. They've never said that to me yet. There'll probably be a day when they say something like that to me. 
Some of you are like, yeah, my kid just said that to me the other day. Our kids crave our time and attention. And I'm grateful that right now I am still a superhero in the eyes of my five-year-old. Some of you have teenagers at your house. And you're like, I I think my teenager hates me. I don't don't really know because they're definitely not wanting to spend time with me. And, you know, man, parents, I feel for you because those teenage years, those are are rough. Those are weird. They're going through puberty. They got all these hormones going on. You're dancing around on eggshells because you don't know if they love you that day or hate you that day. And I get that. But I want to encourage you because just because teenagers might not want to spend time with their parents does not mean that they don't want to spend time with anyone at all. They crave time and attention and community just as much as anybody else does. Right now, my son loves spending time with me, but I'm anticipating a day when that changes. And we have a plan. My wife and I have a plan for this day when it comes. Maybe last week you remember me saying this statement that it takes a church to raise a kid. That is so true because it takes more than one person to spend time with the next generation and point them towards Jesus. I'm anticipating a day, even though it will break my heart, when my son says to me, Dad, I don't like bikes anymore. I'm done riding bikes with you. What I really like doing is playing guitar. And that will break my heart, and I will do everything I possibly can short of sin to get my kid to like like riding bikes. But even if that day comes where he says, nope, I'm done, I like playing music, then I'm going to call up my friend Jamie Parker or Josh Maul, and I'm going to say, hey, my son went to the dark side and he likes music now. (laughs) Can you reach out to him? Can you show him a thing or two on that guitar? Can you spend time with him? Because just because there's going to come a day when Xander's not going to want to spend so much time with me, he's still going to want to spend time with somebody. He wants somebody in his life that's going to shower him with attention and affection and mentor him and be with him. And so there are some very practical things that we can do to spend time with the next generation regardless of whether or not we have kids. One simple thing that we can do is to serve in the children's or student ministry. I really have to ask or I wonder, I should say, why these ministries are often the hardest ones to, to get volunteers to serve in. Because Barna, which is this leading research company, um, d- d- conducted a study and found that 64% of the people who accept Jesus and surrender their life to him do so by the age of 18. That's like mind-blowing that the majority of people who accept Jesus and surrender their life to him do so before the age of 18. So I'm just curious, by show of hands, how many people in this room accepted Jesus and surrendered their life to him before the age of 18? Just raise your hand if that was you. That's powerful. And what somebody did for you and the role that they played in your testimony, you can do the same for somebody else. And these two ministries focus in on that special window of of a person's life when they are more prone to surrender their life to Jesus. And so you can serve in one of these ministries. And so I would, you know, that's one of our big four here too at Cornerstone is to serve where you're gifted. And I would encourage you, if you're not serving somewhere and you want to get involved, start in one of these ministries. 
Out there in the lobby, um, there's a, a, a belong table, and either Jen, who oversees our children's ministry, or Lindsay Newnham, who oversees our nursery ministry, will be out there. And you guys can grab an application and fill that out. You know, we take serious the safety of the kids here, so we do have to run background checks on everybody who wants to get involved in that. This is a very simple, practical way that you can invest in the next generation. And it's not as scary as you think. The kids are not going to ask you crazy hard questions that, that you're not going to understand. What they're really looking for is somebody to give them a high five and to encourage them. Say, hey, how was your week? How can I be praying for you? To read some stories together, to color with them on a piece of paper. That's what these kids are longing for. Can you be that person to another kid? That's the first thing. The second thing that we can do is to maybe adopt a family or to become a spiritual parent to somebody. You know, are you an empty nester? Your kids maybe live in a different state, but there's a young family or a single mom on your street that you can just kind of adopt. And maybe you can bring them a meal once a month. Maybe you can just say, hey, can I just play with your kids for an hour so, so you can have some, some quiet time? Is, is there somebody in your life, uh, uh, whether, again, that's a single parent or, or a foster family, somebody that, that you can adopt and, and minister to? And then the third thing, or I'm sorry, and then you can also become a spiritual parent to somebody. This one is huge because I don't know if you knew this or not. This is a scary statistic, but 43% of the kids that are growing up in the U.S. right now are growing up in a home that doesn't have a father in it. And studies have been shown that talk about the importance of kids having a positive male role model in their life. That's a different story, different sermon for a different day. But could you be that spiritual parent, a spiritual father to one of your kids' friends who might not have a father in the home? Or that neighborhood kid that's always causing trouble? Could you be a spiritual parent to that kid? The third thing that we can do, and I think the most important, is pray. Because if we're trying to do all of this in our own power, it will mean absolutely nothing. We should be desperately praying for God to intervene in the life, in the lives of these kids. Downstairs right now, as we're talking, there are kids learning about Jesus. Are we praying for those kids? On Wednesday night, when we gather over at the roster campus for youth group, have you prayed for those kids who are, who are worshiping Jesus and diving into his word? We can pray for and pray with our students. Those are just three practical things that we can do to spend time with them. One thing that we can never forget is that legacies are transferred relationally and that relationships take time. If you really want to pass on something that will outlive your life, we call that a legacy. If you really want to influence the next generation, it's going to require us spending time with them. talking with them, giving them those high fives, those words of encouragement. We can never forget that. That's the second way that we can encourage the next generation towards Jesus. The third thing that we can do is to begin viewing interruptions as opportunities to teach them about God. And I seriously wish that I would not have put this thing, this point in this message. Because God has this funny way of teaching me that if I'm going to talk about it on Sunday, I first have to experience it. 
And so in prepping for this sermon the past week and a half or so, I've encountered more interruptions than I ever have in my entire life. And I'm, I'm the type of person that I like, I like being on time. I like schedules. I like when things start, when they say they're going to start. And so, um, you know, that, that's just me. And so when, when my schedule um, gets thrown off a little bit, man, I can get very annoyed. And so God has been doing a work in me to, to actually live this out, to view those interruptions as opportunities to teach the people that I encounter about God. Because in Luke 18, which is a parallel passage of what we just read about in Mark chapter 10. Parallel passage just means it's the same story told by a different person. But in Luke 18, we hear the same account of Jesus, the, the, the disciples rebuking these children, Jesus taking these children in. If we back up to Luke 17, verse 11, we come across a very significant verse that sheds new light on this passage that we just read. So in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, we read that on the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now this phrase right here, on the way to Jerusalem, is significant. Because at this point in Jesus' ministry, he has now turned his face towards Jerusalem. He's now headed to Jerusalem to go to the cross to bear the penalty for our sins. Jesus is on the way to the most important meeting in the universe. And you know what happens to him along the way to this most important meeting? He gets interrupted time and time and time again. And this is a meeting that he can't be late to. First, these, these lepers, these, these ten guys with this horrible skin condition come out and they start yelling at Jesus, 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 have mercy on us. And then these Pharisees start asking Jesus all these crazy questions. Hey, Jesus, when is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? Hey, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? And then this rich ruler comes up to him and says, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then we have these knucklehead parents who are bringing their kids to Jesus to be blessed. But you know what, what Jesus never does with these interruptions? He never treats them as interruptions. He treats them as opportunities to teach the people he is with about God. That's something that I know I still need to learn. If we go back to Mark chapter 10, the parents were bringing the children to Jesus that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. See, the disciples viewed these kids as an annoyance, as a distraction, as an interruption to the important ministry that Jesus was doing. And so they start rebuking them. And I think the reason why Jesus was so indignant, why he was so angry and annoyed with the disciples at this point, is because they should have known better. Going back to Mark 9, when Jesus was in that house in Capernaum, he took a child with the disciples watching, took the child, wrapped his arms around him and said, hey, if you really want to be great, you need to receive and welcome kids like this. 
And now here those very same disciples are rebuking the kids that Jesus just told them to receive and welcome. And now I can stand up here and be like, man, those disciples were idiots. They should have gotten this. Why didn't they understand? But I do the very same thing that the disciples do. I might not say it as bluntly as they did, and I might not actually like point my finger and say, hey kid, get away from Jesus. But my actions can very subtly rebuke people. Maybe, maybe you've encountered something like this. You know, I've already admitted that I, I like schedules. I like being on time. And if I have somewhere to go, this has happened to me. This is a real life story. I've had a place to be and I've passed by a person that I know was hurting. That, that needed a word of encouragement, that needed somebody to just cry on their shoulder, that, that needed to be prayed for. And yet in my busyness and in my hurry, I just walked by and said, hey, how's it going? And didn't even like want to make eye contact with them. And in a very real way, I just rebuked that person. Again, I didn't say, hey, I don't have time for you, but my actions showed it. Hey, you're not important to me, but my actions showed it. In the same way, I've been downtown with my kids on our way to get ice cream. And I see the guy. You know the one that has the backpack on with a sleeping bag attached to it sitting on the park bench? And I see him and all I do is give the awkward side glance Because I know if I stop and have a conversation with that guy, God's going to want me to do something for him. But I have ice cream to get to, and it's just right over there. And so in a very real way, not only do I rebuke that guy, but I hinder my own kids from seeing the power of the gospel at work. Because I've elevated my need for ice cream above everything else. And so I am learning this lesson Two. It's a hard lesson, but it's one that I think we can all memorize and learn from. That people aren't an interruption to ministry. They are the ministry. And again, I, I, I struggle with this. I'm still learning this. Jesus said, love God and love people. That's the greatest commandment. Love God and love people. Man, I get that backwards far more than I would like to. So often I love myself and my schedule above everybody else. So I think we would do well to take a page from the book of Jesus and begin viewing those so-called interruptions as actual opportunities to minister to somebody. Because when somebody enters our life, whether that be a child or an adult, somebody who is just like us or somebody who is far different than us, whenever somebody enters our life, it's an opportunity for us to point them towards Jesus. Those are just three things that we can do to encourage this next generation towards Jesus. We'll recap them really quick. First thing that we can do is to lead them to experience the power of God through our care of others, through the way we serve them and love them. We can spend time with them, and we can begin to view interruptions as opportunities to teach them about God. And now it's very easy on a Sunday morning in the comfort of these seats to fill in blanks on a piece of paper. It's much more difficult to actually live these things out once we leave this place. And so I have some next steps for us, things that we can do to actually apply what we've talked about today 
And the first thing that we can do is to have a meaningful conversation with someone who's completely different than you. Have a meaningful conversation. That means moving beyond just sports, beyond just weather, and talking about life. Talking about the celebrations and the struggles that people are going through. Because what I've discovered is that when you actually have a meaningful conversation with somebody, God will start to reveal different ways that you can minister to them. Whether that be praying for them, encouraging them, being that shoulder for them to cry on. It's amazing what God does when we actually have a meaningful conversation with another human being. And when we do it with somebody who's completely different than us, man, God uses that in a very powerful way. So that's the first thing that we can do. The second thing that we can do is to prayerfully consider how you will spend time with the next generation and then do it. So take some time this week to pray about how you could get involved in the life of a young person. Could it be serving in one of the ministries, the children's ministry, the nursery, the student ministry? Could it be adopting that family on your block or in your apartment complex? Could it be becoming a spiritual parent to somebody? How could God use you to influence and impact the next generation? Pray about it and then do it. And then the third thing is to begin scheduling time in your day for opportunities. Not interruptions, but opportunities. And I actually learned this from my friend Jamie Parker, this 80-20 rule where you only schedule your work day 80% full and you leave 20% open for opportunities, for people. So if you work in eight-hour day and you have the ability to only schedule like six and a half hours of work or so, do that and leave that hour and a half or so of time open for people. Because inevitably, there's going to be somebody who comes into your office to drop off paperwork that you just see was just crying and is sad. And if you have a full day's worth of work, you might just grab the papers from the people and say, hey, thank you, see you later, and then they're off on their way. But if you have that time scheduled and available, you can say, hey, you're looking pretty sad. Come on in. Let's talk. What's going on? And now you have an opportunity to minister and serve that person, all because you just created a little bit of time in your day for that opportunity. And again, this is something that I'm still working on. So even even as a pastor, you guys can hold me accountable. Just interrupt my day, you know, call the office and and ask for Josh. And I'm like, ah, right? And we'll we'll have a good conversation. So I'm still learning this. You know, these are just three things that we can do to help live out uh, this idea of pointing the next generation towards Jesus. And God might be steering you in a different direction to serve in a different capacity that, that wasn't listed, and that's totally fine. I am just so grateful that I am on staff at a church that really takes serious the call of discipleship and bringing up and raising the next generation. I mean, both Jamie and I can attest to this. We were both hired on staff as young little punk kids that knew absolutely nothing. And I was like 20, 21. Jamie, I think, was like 19. And and, and they invested in us. They encouraged us. They led us. And now we have the opportunity to do the same. So I pray and I hope that we would never get to a point in, in any of our lives where we say, I've been there and done that. Because you're not done discipling the next generation until you're dead. So how is it that God can use you to point this next generation 
towards Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning that you've given us, for this day that you've given us. God, help us not to take for granted each breath that you allow us to breathe. That our heart beats with a purpose once we surrender our lives to Jesus. And so I pray that we would take serious the mission of sharing the good news and hope of Jesus to not only the next generation, but to the people around us, regardless of what stage of life they're in. Yes, the emphasis was on the next generation this morning, but it applies to everybody across the board. And so I pray that you would use us, the people here at Cornerstone, in this city of Prescott, in Prescott Valley, and and Chino, and beyond, to share of the hope of Jesus, to spend time with people who are different than us, to have those conversations and to be used by you to make an impact in the lives of the people around us. So God, we just thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for using broken people like us. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.